0: History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to a special announcement episode of the History of Persia. So, remember when I said that episode 83 would be the last weekly episode until I hit my 250 Patreon subscriber goal? Apparently I lied because a couple of things snuck up on me. First of all, I didn't realize that Maragon was going to be just around the corner when I recorded that episode several weeks ago. Didn't occur to me. Go listen to the 2022 holiday special if you haven't already. It's all about the Zoroastrian Festival of Mithra and the history and mythology of that very important Yazada. The second thing is a bunch of new housekeeping and ad-related stuff piling up all at once. It's barely enough to really justify a dedicated announcement episode, but a little too much to cram into the beginning of episode 84, especially because I know it's one of the most anticipated topics. So here we are, announcing things, and like all of these announcements, there will be a little mini-episode about coinage at the end. In this case, I'm talking about the Ancient Greek Monetary Standards, which I needed to include somewhere before getting into the Hellenistic era. Most importantly, there's that little jingle about hopful media you might have started hearing at the beginning of each episode. I've also gone back and added an explanation to the beginning of a couple of backlog episodes so people catching up aren't completely caught off guard. Sorry if that messed with any of your podcast feeds at all. I think different apps handle that sort of thing in different ways. Let me start by saying that absolutely nothing of substance has changed. History of Persia is just as independent as ever. I'm still just reading books, writing scripts, recording, editing, and posting episodes all on my own from the comfort of my attic. You can see how Hopful is stylized in the title of this episode. That H-O-P is for History of Persia. This is just kind of a preemptive step to make things a tad more professional, and introduce a kind of banner label for potential future projects. I love making this podcast. Like, love it. We've got another thousand years or so of ancient history before we are even close to my planned endpoint. And of course... As I've done more research over the last few years, I've formulated a pretty lengthy epilogue that will take us down to almost 900 CE. But it's not like this is my only interest, despite what I might have led most of my friends and family to believe. I've got lots of other ideas kicking around in my head, including at least one other long-running podcast, a couple of mini-series, ideas for potential YouTube videos if I ever learn how to do that, books or at least long pieces of writing that might be better to self-publish than go through a real publisher, strong opinions about the lore of the Horizon Zero Dawn franchise. You get the idea. Hopful Media is a way to keep all of that under one roof. It's also one roof that might be a better fit for any sort of expansion that would require boring legal stuff like copyrights, trademarks, and LLC, paying other people. Podcast merchandise seems to have been reasonably well-received, and I'd love to expand on that by commissioning actual artists to make more impressive stuff than what I'm capable of on my own. To be perfectly honest, after 136 individual episodes, announcements, and other stuff, I can say with confidence that I despise podcast editing and would love to outsource that as soon as I can afford it. None of this requires legal structure more than what I've already been doing, but it can help and is a bit safer financially. Mostly, though... That's all on my end, and not something you need to worry about as listeners, just maybe things to keep an eye out for. Nothing will change for History of Persia in the foreseeable future, and if something does, you'll get another announcement episode in your feed. So why introduce Hopful Media now? Well, the financial year is coming to an end, and I want to establish the name. But again, that's mostly my problem. More relevant to you as listeners is where it's placed in the episode. Non-patrons and King of Anshan subscribers might remember that very annoying rushed blurb I had to insert because Spotify was being screwy with the ads. Well, I asked Spotify and they said it was resolved, so I got rid of the blurb but they must have realized the glitch was good for business because they no longer count Spotify users when paying out for pre-episode ads. As a podcast listener, I find that profoundly irritating because I don't like ads in the middle of the episode very much. As a podcast maker, I find it even more irritating, because I do want those downloads to count, but I don't want to change my format. This is the workaround. A little musical cue and a producer credit that serves an actual purpose, instead of me spouting nonsense for ten seconds. By all means, hit that skip button a few times. I actually changed my own settings to more effectively skip ads in 60-second bursts when I'm listening to other shows. 10 out of 10. Would recommend. Speaking of ads, that brings us to announcement number two and a little homework assignment for everyone listening at home. Except ad-free Patreon subscribers, I guess though I know a few of you personally and would appreciate it if you'd occasionally listen to the regular feed just to help me keep an eye on this thing. I was recently accepted into my hosting service, Anchors, pilot program for automated targeted advertising. It pays a bit better and should add some more variety than just alternating between hey, you should start a podcast and go see a therapist, for heaven's sake. By now, you might have already started hearing them. These are going to be straight-up commercials read by somebody else, and possibly selected based on your location when you download or stream the episode. If you want to turn off location services or use a VPN to tell the server you're in some other country, go for it. You should probably be doing that for simple digital security anyway, Honestly, totally recommend the VPN thing just to find out what silly ads they're getting in other areas. However, I only have limited control over the ads that Anchor slash Spotify servers are going to slot in here. I went through and excluded all of the categories I know will produce amoral garbage, but if some heinous stuff slips in, please let me know. There's not much I can do if it's just something you don't personally like, but I have no interest in shilling for total bastards. At me or message me on social media, shoot an email to historyofpersiapodcast at gmail.com or just use the contact page on historyofpersiapodcast.com. You can even use the merch store contact page if you want. It all goes to the same place. Again... Please help me out by letting me know if terrible people are sneaking onto my platform. Theoretically, you might also start getting two ads after the closing music in each episode. I personally mind that a lot less, and know almost everyone stops listening during the closing spiel anyway, so I threw those in there to see what happens. As of yet, I don't even think I have advertisers that accept post roll placement anyway. Moving away from ads, I also want to give a brief update on the podcast merchandise. Thank you so much to everyone who has bought t-shirts and stickers, and for some bizarre reason the dark horse hit that is the Asha vs. Druge mousepad. You rock. Everyone else, go have a look. There are links in every episode description, or you can just find the store tab on the podcast website. That said, there will be some gradual changes to the store starting soon. Mostly minor stuff. A few new items here, a few adjustments to existing things for the sake of organization and color palette, now that I know what people are into. New items will be posted on social media as I get the designs together. So look out for those. Eventually, I also want to get some Hopful Media branded stuff together too. I just need to commission the actual logo at some point. One last financial thing, because that is why I include the coinage stuff in these episodes. Patreon. Now that we are officially caught up on episode releases with this announcement, it's time to get caught up on bonus episodes. Those are going to start rolling out at speed as I get into a new project, made-up stuff about the Achaemenids. There's a ton of historical and modern fiction, ludicrous academic speculation, and media inspired by ancient Persia out there, and I'm gonna talk about all of it. I haven't quite decided if that's going to come out all in a row or alternate with other topics, but even regular listeners will hear about it when it happens because you're going to start seeing bonus trailers in the podcast feed. The next few weeks will probably have a lot of them, but when I get caught up, that will slow down to once a month. That also makes this the perfect time to head to patreon.com historyofpersia and subscribe if you haven't already. The summer sticker giveaway is officially over, but every new subscriber is one step closer to the 250-person goal that will force me to resume weekly episodes, too. Because after episode 84, I am going back to buy weekly I swear. We're already about two-thirds of the way there, and I promise you're going to get real invested in the narrative for a while. I've got episodes written, or at least outlined, to 120, and approximately six of those are non-narrative topics. Put another way, we are full steam ahead until we get to Antiochus I, and you're really gonna start wishing it was weekly. And last but not least, before we get to the historical money, just a little bit of State of the Pod. I honestly have no idea if any of you care about this stuff. But I always like it when podcasts I listen to include it, so here we go. One, I just want to thank everyone who has responded so positively to my recent statement of solidarity with the uprising in Iran. It's been genuinely overwhelming, especially to intermittently hear from Iranian listeners in the middle of a revolutionary movement in your country. Just, wow. The same thing seems to have earned me some new listeners, which I still have mixed feelings about in context, but if people want to start learning about ancient Iran, I'm glad to be of service. So hello to everyone who started listening around September of 2022, Very belatedly, I'm guessing, but hello. Other state-of-the-pod stuff is pretty basic, mostly just me saying thanks for more things. History of Persia now regularly slips into the top 200 history podcasts in most English-speaking countries on Spotify and Apple, and I'm sure other apps that I can't keep track of. Eastern Europe is still the most consistently popular region, and I really want to know who was listening in Antarctica. Seriously, if that's you, let me know. I'm just curious. You guys rule. I love it. Every single positive review is like a little gift when I check on Monday mornings. Thank you so much for your support. When I was applying to grad school, in just one visit to a prospective department, my roommate and I kept track of all the languages we had been told we needed to learn to study ancient Persia. The final tally came to 27 relevant languages. As somebody overwhelmed by Greek, Latin, and the need to pick up French and German, that was a bit terrifying. Reading mostly dead languages is different from speaking them. But just picking up a new language in any context is daunting. Fortunately, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. Available on desktop or as an app, it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I've had more than a few times where I wished I knew modern Persian. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert in language learning for 30 years and built up a catalog of 25 languages to learn, all available through their lifetime membership, which you can get today for 50% off. Not all of them overlap with that list from grad school, but many do. Hebrew, Persian, Latin, German, and Russian, just to name a few. Rosetta Stone has no English translations, always the part I found most frustrating, and instead focuses on long-term retention through an intuitive process of working up from simple words to full sentences. Don't put off learning that language. But you listen for history, not to hear me brag, so let's get to it. Previous announcement episodes have featured minisodes about coinage minted by the Achaemenid imperial government and the satraps. But they were hardly the only coins in circulation. For the most part, they were only really being used for foreign transactions, especially with the Greeks which meant there was plenty of Greek money floating around too. Officially, Dariks were minted according to the Babylonian weight standard, with each gold coin weighing roughly one Babylonian shekel, which was actually a unit of weight like ounces or grams before the name became associated with currency in the Levant. The word siglos is literally just the Lydian word in Greek for shekel. Ironically, the Lydian siglos weight standard, which was used for Persian silver coinage, was actually about two grams heavier than the Babylonian shekel. But so it goes, and we're going to see a lot of that. Fusing the Lydian and Babylonian weight systems was probably an issue of convenience to create an easy exchange rate between Sigloy and Darix. As the currency economy developed in the greater Aegean region, there were many different weight standards. Down in Phoenicia, they used their own version of the shekel that was actually a bit heavier, coming in at 14 grams on average. At our current point in the narrative, there weren't many independent Phoenician mints, maybe just one in tier, but they are coming. And much like other independent mints in the Western Empire, they were the product of rebellions. Out in their independent colonies, like Carthage, the same weight standard was also in use. Like I said, though, mostly it's the Greeks. From the emergence of coin currency in the late 7th century BC down to the current point in our narrative 300 years later, different Greek cities employed at least 10 different official systems of weight. This was a byproduct of all of the Greek poleis governing independently, with different governments using slightly different definitions for the same terminology. Initially, All of this, from Babylon to Italy, was the result of literal weights, like heavy blocks cast from bronze or carved from stone, to ensure that everyone in the market was valuing products by the same rules. When coinage developed, each denomination of currency was minted according to the local weight standards. Because what else were they going to use? However... Greece was still pretty small in the grand scheme of things, and it was convenient to use the same system as your immediate neighbors, so a few standards dominated regionally. The very early ones were the Achaean and Eugenetan standards. Achaea was the region on the north side of the Peloponnese, famed for its prominence in the story of the Trojan War. In the earliest Greek literature, like the Iliad, Achaean was even a blanket name for all Greeks. But that was pre-coinage times. By the time currency really got going, it was the Agenidans who were the most popular. Aegina was that little island in the Saronic Gulf that was constantly at war with Athens. In the late 6th and early 5th centuries, their standard was the primary option for mainland Greece. Around the same time, Miletus developed its own weight standards on our side of the Aegean, and as the most powerful Ionian city with lots of colonies, their version dominated the Greek cities of the early Persian Empire. They weren't alone, of course, Large or isolated islands like Samos and Thassos had their own versions. However, the most important in the long run was Chios by way of Rhodes. The Chian standard was introduced around the same time as the Milesian standard, but took longer to spread its wings. Right around the current point in our podcast narrative, Possibly as a consequence of some wars were about to fight, the Keyan standard was adopted by the island of Rhodes. Over the following decades, Rhodes started reducing the weight of its coins, ultimately arriving at what historians call a Rhodian standard, which eventually became the most popular among Anatolian Greeks. But let's rewind a little bit, because before that could happen, you had Athens, with vast silver mines and imperial ambitions. The Athenians developed their own rules, the Attic Standard, named for their home country in Attica. Over time, as practical concerns about the value of currency versus the literal weight of objects became different, the currency weight and the physical weight took on slightly different definitions, even though the terminology remained the same for both. Think British pounds. You're not going to go to London today and get a coin that weighs a full pound with Charles III's face on it. As the Athenians started to dominate everyone through the Delian League, the Attic Standard became the most popular by far. And because it was popular and associated with power, it was also very reliable favored by merchants all over the Aegean and beyond. The Attic Standard was so successful that it, that it was eventually favored by a certain King Alexander III of Macedon and his successors, who employed it all over their territory, creating an almost universal Greek system of currency. Almost because Egypt has to be special. We'll get there, When we get there. For now, I want to explain how Greek currency was divvied up, because it's only going to get more relevant, and I am tired of dancing around the names of their many, many denominations. The Greeks didn't use the shekel, but they did adopt a version of the Near Eastern weight system. In Phoenicia and Mesopotamia, the heaviest level was a talent, equivalent to 60 mina, which in turn were equivalent to 60 shekels. The Greeks used talents and mina too, though their talent was usually heavier. Typically, when talking about talents from Persia, I've converted based on the Babylonian standard, just FYI. In Greece, one mina was 100 drachmae, and each drachmai was six obols. Systems varied over time, but this is the general idea. Now, this is where things get complicated. A Caymanid coinage was nice and simple, like a fantasy novel or basic D&D. You've got silver and gold. 25 silver coins to 1 gold coin. That's it. To understand ancient Greek currency, you basically have to know a little ancient Greek. We've already got six obols to one drachma, so that's a good start. But you also need prefixes. Odds are you will have heard all of these in some context, but as a refresher. Hemi means half, as in hemisphere. Di means two, as in carbon dioxide has two oxygen molecules. Tri means three, as in I'm not going to explain that one to you. Tetra means four, which is why tetris blocks have four squares. Look, tetra doesn't get used a lot. Deca means ten, as in decade. Obols were the base level of Athenian currency. Two obols a day was a subsistence wage in Athens during the 4th century BCE. In fact, they made diobols that were exactly that value. Also triobols and tetraobols. But apparently, at five, it just wasn't worth it to mint something so close to a drachma. Since it was six obols to the drachma, triobol coins are also called hemidrachma. You then get di, tri, tetra, and finally decadrachmai Hoplites in the Athenian army earned one drachma per day of service, which you might notice is about thirty percent more than they would get from mercenary work in Persia it was a good deal to incentivize staying at home and fighting there when the need arose. But if two obols was basically minimum wage for the whole day, then it wasn't exactly pocket change. So the Athenians also minted smaller coins called tetartamoria, which literally means one quarter part, as in one quarter of an obol. You could kinda sorta see that as an equivalent word to the American quarter, as in a quarter dollar. So you had Tetartamori coins, but also Hemi-Tetartamoria and Tri-Tetartamoria to make change when you went to the market and spent your obols. There were also Hemi-obols instead of Di-Tetartamoria for whatever reason. All of these were minted in silver mostly because the Greeks only had limited access to gold mines when they developed their currency system. However, once more gold did get into circulation, it was only really used for the most valuable coins of all, sort of. It depends on context. The last Greek coin type of any note is the stator, which literally just means weight. The name actually seems to be another adaptation of the shekel, specifically the Phoenician version. Since they all hovered around 17 grams, and the Phoenicians were the big trade power before Greece. Early Greek coins in that weight range were minted in silver, but not very common, at least not under the name stator. The Corinthian silver stator was basically identical to the Athenian tetradrachma. Once gold entered the picture, it's another story. Because gold was so valuable, golden coins in the Greek world were usually called staters as a matter of course, even though they tended to be half the weight of silver coins going by the same name. The golden stator was probably invented in Macedon, because they had more gold mines from an early point. Even at just 8.5 grams of gold, staters were wildly valuable, mostly used for state accounting purposes and major transactions, like public building projects or constructing a small fleet of ships. The Athenian gold stater was valued at 20 drachmae, making it slightly less valuable than the Persian Daric, which was 25 drachmae, on average. Unlike Persian coins, which always used the older system of pressing an image into the metal from the back, leaving the image of a king on one side and a dent on the other, Greek coinage was struck on dyes, This was the process of placing a blank metal disc on top of a raised image in harder metal, like bronze or iron, and then hitting it with a sort of hammer that featured a different raised image, pressing both pictures into either side of the finished coin. Of course, all of this was done by hand, so the finished product rarely features a perfectly centered image. However, As the individual die wore down, unique imperfections began to occur, like cracks or blurring in the image. Historians, specifically numismatists who study coinage, can use those imperfections to date the coins struck by any one die. It's actually very useful for chronicling the developments of coinage in one place, minted by one authority over a small period of time, because if they strike enough of them, then they go through multiple dyes and you can track the progress of the original wearing down. Usually, these images were a god or goddess and a symbol representing the city. But beginning in the late 5th century, local rulers, especially satraps, Persian governors, tyrants, and kings, started putting their own faces on their coins. Obviously, that was a very long-lasting tradition since we're still doing it today in many countries, and still with the same basic technology, just automated. Once again, I'm looking at you, King Charles. But that just about does it for Greek coinage for the time being. Next week, the podcast returns to normal episodes with the March of the Ten Thousand. Until then, if you want more information about this podcast, go to historyofpersiapodcast.com. That's where you'll find things like my bio, the bibliography, podcast merchandise, and the Achaemenid family tree. You'll also find the support page where you can help out this project financially. That includes one-time donations, affiliate links, and most importantly, Patreon. Also found at patreon.com slash historyofpersia. Patreon offers a monthly subscription where you get access to things like bonus episodes, merchandise, discounts, ad-free listening, and reading recommendations. Subscription tiers range from just $1 to $20 and do a lot to keep the lights on. You don't have to spend money to support me, though. You can also do that by leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice, and most importantly of all, telling other people to listen. Independent podcasts live or die by word of mouth, so tell your friends, tell your family, and share on social media. You can find me at History of Persia on Twitter, or History of Persia Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Until the next time, thank you all so much for listening to History of Persia.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple.